Welcome to Crossing Phase, a podcast where a Christian and a Muslim talk religion and politics. My name is Matt Hawkins. My co-host is John Pinna. I'm coming to you from Middle Tennessee outside Nashville. He's coming to us from upstate New York, where he runs a pastry and a, a donut and coffee shop, right? Yeah, National Security and Donuts. That's going to be the name of my book. <laughs> I, just made, I just made it back here from, you know, dealing with Washington and and uh, you know, a, a rough two weeks. Uh, I think we have everybody we've been dealing with the, uh, the what's been happening in Afghanistan. So you know, trying yeah. to you know uh, deal with the the trauma of of this happening, and then on top of that, supporting all these operations that are happening over there. But yeah. um, but yeah, how we'll are you? You're, you just got back from you know you're in week five, right, of your your heart surgery. Yeah. Yeah. So for those of you joining us, uh, either by video on YouTube or via audio, uh, this is the first podcast that John and I have recorded in months. The first episode, we took a summer hiatus that was fairly planned. Uh, we both needed a little, little break and different projects going on during the summer. And then around the time we were going to kick this off again, I had to have open heart surgery. Uh, you heard that correctly at age 43. I had open heart surgery, a mere, well, I guess this is my fifth week of recovery. Um, yesterday, the 29th, we're recording this on the 30th. Yesterday, the 29th was my, uh, the one month anniversary. Some that. people knit, some people bike, some people right. hike. And your, your thing is surgeries, heart surgeries. But no, yeah, I, apparently. I, we were really concerned because you went in for this normal checkup. And then it ended up being where you had a, I would say, is it? Good to say emergency surgery? Was it emergency? Is that it it wasn't quite emergency, but they got me in within the week. So it was urgent, but not not an emergency situation. Right. So they had been investigating what they call PVCs in my in my heart for about a year and um, over a year. Uh, and basically, it's uh, extra beats in my heart uh, um, for, for lay people. Um, and that they want to... Too much heart. Too much heart. Yeah, yeah, too much. That's right. Sorry, my camera's getting a little, a little tightening. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so I had, yeah. So in, in course of that, they were going to do an ablation to try to get these irregular heartbeats taken care of, which is a relatively common procedure. But in preparation for that ablation, they ran me through an MRI to make sure there were no uh, potential new blockages contributing. And sure enough, uh, a stent that I had had installed in 2018, um, for a, a plaque blockage um, is was now occluded, meaning my stent was fully blocked, which was a puzzling scenario, uh, obviously shocking and disappointing. Um, thankfully, we got through it um, by, and obviously we're, I'm going to credit God and his design and uh, the, the common grace that we experience through medical technology and medical uh, physicians. But the blockage, John, I'm not sure how much I told you this. Um, my blockage was in my lower anterior. And they, when that, that blockage happens, when somebody has a heart attack from that blockage, they call it the Widowmaker because right. it's yeah. really likely, um, like sub 10%, that someone's going to survive that kind of blockage there, particularly uh, as a young person. But the the catheter imaging revealed that, get this, my heart had literally grown its own bypass to accommodate for the lack of blood flow. Doctors credit my exercise. So when we exercise, okay. 
blood vessels extend right into the tissue. And over the time, healthy adults and animals, doesn't happen all the time, but healthy and adults and animals, their veins, their arteries can actually grow um, new, uh, medical people are going to rip me for this rude, but like new tributaries, right? New paths uh, into the tissue. And the imagery in my heart, if you looked straight on, the doctors could see my muscle pulsing, but they could not see the corresponding vessel lighting up, right? That would be feeding it. But then the imagery, the camera kind of goes around to the right, and you could see this fishhook-shaped artery that had grown that was powering that front muscle. Um, So that was basically keeping me alive, apparently. Uh, But it was insufficient for the long term, so they needed to install a formal bypass. And so they Hmm. grafted a a vessel from from my chest, attached it to the top of my heart, and attached it to my heart muscle where it needed to go. And, uh, so here I am in my fifth week of uh, recovery. I started rehab last week. I'll continue that for several weeks and, uh, the scar is healing up nicely, but I will not subject viewers to that. All right. We were, we were talking about you doing it topless, but we felt that, you know, I was trying to get you to dress up like princess Leia, the return of the Jedi, but you know, all my efforts had failed. Um, but, uh, and this, this is part of your therapy. This is to see how strong your surgery is and to see if they, if you can take the, the sheer trauma and effect of, of multi-faith conversations and talking about policy. Um, but, uh, we'll John see Pena. if we can take it easy, take it easy so, on you. But, if y'all wouldn't, if y'all witnessed me drop dead here, it's John's fault. Right. Right. Well, <laughs> you know, like I said, I didn't say a prayer to you and I, you know, I, you know, like I said, uh, when we were chatting back and forth, they go, uh, you know, our, our prayers matter. So uh, I've been taking full credit for it, you know. So yeah. uh, I, I'm but, exceedingly um, no, I grateful for, I'm exceedingly grateful for hundreds, if not, you know, possibly thousands of people praying for me um, before and during that procedure. So um, yeah, we we we, we, I, we were, with all joking aside, we were it was, it was a shock and and like I said, it was it was good to. Uh, rally and for that rally to you know come circle back with something that's you're still here and uh still here. and you know you're spending time with your daughter because uh she's home from school uh today and uh and you know we we were to some tense moments there you know for for us and and we're glad you're you're still here we're glad that you're you know that the appropriate procedures were taken so appreciate it but you know, and I haven't learned or, my I haven't my learned my lesson. I'm kill, still coming back to this Zoom and uh, subjecting well, myself to your abuse. Yeah, well, I don't know. I, yeah, I don't know how excited it is. I mean, we had a, a furious text text chain today about all <laughs> kinds of stuff. But um, you know, you know, we, we're I think we're I've been a little bit out of sorts. I was I you know I lined up all these podcasts for for Afghanistan last week, and it just. The last two weeks, I took, essentially just froze everything that I was doing and went down to Washington and then yeah. helped coordinate a lot of the activities um, with a colleague of mine for to establish the air bridge, um, you know, working with the non-combatant uh, um, evacuation operations. And we were, we were the first sort of private entities, the kind you know, civil society entities to, to contact state, main state, who's coordinating all the activities with the military, right? So CENTCOM yeah. and, uh, and CENTCOM did all the clearances to establish the air bridge. And then we took this thing was mobilized, what's called the, 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 uh, the civilian air reserve, which is all the airlines out there like Delta and so forth can fly in then and, 
and relieve the military F- airlift effort because they have you know seats and and they have the ability to increase the the routes and and the frequency of uh, touchdown and pickups and stuff. And that was just twenty four hours, you know, seven days a week, coordinating all these debris strange activities. The state was not prepared for it, you know, and and uh, our government agencies were strained. And, and the, you know, on the other side, the U.S. military is certainly um, ready for it. They they you know can mobilize, but then it's about sustainability operations and then supplementing, you know, increasing you know the 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 the, the, the force. Uh, magnitude of what they're doing so um but it was it was a shock you know it was a shock all this stuff that had happened with afghanistan and and uh and and we're everybody's still reeling i still have four families there that are close to me that are stuck Hmm. and uh you know there was i saw a tweet the other other day that said well there was this argument of whether or not the airlift was effective and someone said in a tweet well it's a hundred thousand people it sounds like a well-oiled machine you know here's the problem is that the ramp up anything that's unplanned or where you don't have a contingency plan like 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 the Biden administration didn't have a uh, a plan b um the problem is is that once you're doing something ad hoc there's going to be a lot of mistakes and and there's going to be a lot of uh learning uh on the job so to speak and uh and the problem was, is that out of then some of the numbers that I hear thrown around, like 80% of the people that were on those planes, which would mean 80,000 people were people that are not in jeopardy, that aren't, you know, American allies, aren't, you know, uh, uh, religious communities that are persecuted or individuals uh, uh, that are um, uh, are vulnerable, like women and, and children and stuff. <laughs> After I'm done with this meeting, okay, I'll get you more gifts. You can go get yourself. Well, we could, why don't we just put her on? We can talk about Megamind. <laughs> Working from home. Working from home this week, guys. Hold on just a second. Can you, can you, can you, um, there, you can get um, goldfish. Okay. We were just talking about Megamind. That's, that's my go-to. That's my go-to children's movies. She's, she's, she's watching Disney Princess movies. So, yeah. Uh, while right that's on here. So anyway, so you were you were interrupting, or I interrupted by we got interrupted no, there, no. Um, about your so, last couple weeks uh, of Afghanistan yeah. and the logistics of this mess. Um, I think we want to talk about Afghanistan focally right now. Uh, we're going to skip kind of the, uh, I guess a lot of the basics. I mean, you, you're always you're always rich with some you know background and history um, for listeners tuning in. We have a previous episode with John Karaku. Uh, he's a former intelligence officer, uh, and he and John kind of really yeah. g- gave a significant background on Taliban history and um, what you guys kind of expect moving forward. Um, and I think by now, um, you know, listeners who are interested have the basic understanding of what, what has gone down the last couple of weeks um, under the Biden administration's uh, uh, oversight um, and uh, kind of wanted to get your sense, maybe a couple anecdotes from, from people on the ground, um, people that, you know, um, cause I know it's been a harrowing couple weeks. Yeah. You know, we've got I, that's, first, I guess a good continuation from our previous episode would be the Taliban. It's sure. interesting because I had a, uh, a friend of mine uh, was in Kabul and 
Taliban had just entered into Kabul and mm-hmm. this Taliban commander comes up to him and hugs him. And he thought he was being assaulted, attacked by this Taliban guy, right? And the Taliban guy was, had tears in his eyes and he was celebrating that he was in Kabul uh, and that, that he had never been there before. And they were all taken aback mm-hmm. by this. And it was interesting. It's an interesting point to uh, uh, start off a conversation that a good 50% or better of the Taliban right now were born after 9-11. Yeah. So just let's think about that. And and they're walking in there with cell phones, taking selfies and and uh, and they're not the battle hardened uh, Taliban from the 90s. You know, so they're a different generation, a whole new generation. And I, without <laughs> creating a, a situation where I'm going to get a fatwa after me, but they're kind of like hipster Taliban, a good portion of them. You know, they look like Taliban, they're dressed like the Taliban, but we don't know exactly what's going on, you know, and. Uh, and I think that that is an interesting component of uh, the, the new character of the Taliban, although we don't know exactly who they are and what they're about. Um, I will say that there's there's a generational shift. Sure. Uh, you know, we have been fighting the Taliban for 20 years, uh, the coalition forces. And 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 a lot of Taliban, a lot of the members of the old Taliban are dead. Uh, the old guard is still there, um, yeah. but there's very few of them. And so, uh, and then there's sort of the zealots and, uh, and that are still surrounding some of the, 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 the chain of command there. But a good portion of these are, are the Taliban are younger generation uh, that are a lot younger than I am, you know, and, uh, and they have a different character about them. They're not battle hardened from the 90s. They the, the, they're largely have, have stayed um, in hiding um, or are out of the fight. And uh, and now they've entered into Kabul, in this case, a story for the first time. And that was a very emotional experience, an Afghan coming to Kabul for the first time. Um, their rhetoric has changed. Uh, they talk about respecting religious minorities. They talk about uh, respecting communities, letting people leave. You know, I mean, if I was the Taliban, I'd want all the troublemakers to leave. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> Well, I'd say go, you know, I don't want any counter-revolutionaries. You know, I'm a Russian historian. So, you know, it's one of those things where I get all the counter-revolutionaries out. Um, and that's an interesting characteristic. Um, I think it's also interesting to look at their, from a religious freedom perspective, they advanced during Maharam, okay, which is the, the highest uh, one of the highest uh, Shia holidays. Um, okay. It's uh, and it ranges in, in days from you know three to tw- to ten to twelve. Some people celebrate sixty days, but twelve days of Muharram is usually what you you celebrate, uh, and it's mm-hmm. the celebration of the Battle of Karbala, the survival of the uh, the Albait, the the, uh, the, uh, the 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 family of the Prophet, and 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 so. In, when, in the invasion in the south, there were orders, orders the, the Taliban to guard Shia places of worship and to not harm Shia during Maharam. Okay. So, particularly in Kandahar, which is an interesting, an interesting shift. Um, so I've you, done see rec- mo- you see movement there. Well, I don't know. I all I can say Potential is, is movement. that. All I know is, is that this did happen. 
So you have this situation where you have an an occurrence of certainly religious tolerance um, in some manner, respect, same manner, shape or form. Now, look, maybe they're pulling all the satellites down and they're pulling all the cell phone towers. And once they shut the country down, it's going to go back to whatever it was back in the 90s. I'm not sure that's possible. Yeah. Um, But I'm not sure it's possible to do that. Uh, But it's an interesting it's an interesting character that shows that there's a difference between the old Taliban and the new Taliban. Um, The rhetoric certainly is there. Um, And uh, I I think that the stewardship of Shia communities in Mahar during Maharam in the south is an interesting development. Uh, I don't know if it's reliable to say that this is going to be a course of action that they're going to take. Um, But whereas something like ISIS, doomsday cult, um, you do have within the Taliban an adherence to a kind of Islam, even though uh, it derives itself from Wahhabism, you you have a sense of a way to speak using their uh, their terminology that that was is within a construct of what they would consider to be order. Um, I don't, I, you know, I have a hard time with with doomsday cults like ISIS right. um, and the, and, so you, and anybody who advocates for violence within Islam. So I think you violate the maxims, and then you're on the other side of Islam, um, yeah. much like the Amman Amman message declares that right. Yeah. So. And that's where that's that's my camp. So I have a hard time with that. But the fact is, is that they are in charge of Afghanistan right now. Their uh, rhetoric has changed some of their actions. So the possibility that they've changed. And uh, but even though those changes might exist, they are who they are. Uh, right. And John Kiriakou and I talked about, you know, vigilantes and how they uh, have a, a, a way of you know, their go-to is, you know, punishment. <laughs> their go-to is uh, a strict interpretation of uh, of Islamic law and their application of Sharia and their their interpretation, which would you call like thick, uh, we call it, is is uh, extremely rigid, and they treat Islam very much like a salad bar. So, um, but they do not have the person power they once had and they, their character, their person power is very, very different. So, Mm -hmm. um, and I think that might speak to a different quality in how they interact with the rest of the world and the Afghan people. But, uh, and I think that, that, that we'll have to just see, Um, but that doesn't devalue the sheer um, terror that all of us have had with this advance. Um, Right. And, uh, and but I think that when it comes to culpable parties, it's very, very difficult because there's been a lot of slogans thrown out there, a lot of arm chairing. I've had a lot of friends uh, who have ripped in who haven't who have spent time in Afghanistan talk about these things and and be you know very angry about people that are pundits and arm chairing it and don't really have a stake in the game. You know, yeah. um, talk about what is going on in Afghanistan. Yeah. Now, so. Some of the chatter, some of that arm chairing, I would I would suggest um, in stateside has been that, um, and this has been kind of pop culture conventional wisdom for a while, is the critique of the U.S. being in Afghanistan 
was that we were never going to establish or we were trying to establish a Western style, Jeffersonian style democracy. Um, and I'm curious to get your, your take on that claim. That's never really been my understanding. That's not what I thought we were sold uh, in the early days of why we were there and, and what we hoped to accomplish. We certainly, I think, made advances. And um, I think, I mean, part of your work was uh, trying to advance human rights, um, and particularly in the context of education um, yeah. and civil society. Um, I saw us doing that. Uh, t to what extent is that claim about supposedly trying to build uh, a Western style democracy versus what you saw us doing. Now I will caveat from the, from the get go. Um, I'm, I'm with a number of different people who think we ought to, ought to have been doing things differently. And I think you're part of that camp too. Uh, yeah. Even if we, even if we disagreed on the particulars, like uh, a, a lot of us, you know, didn't, didn't like the status quo, so to speak. Um, and probably didn't like the status quo depend, you know, throughout at least three different and now four different uh, presidential administrations. So your, your claim on like why the U S was there in the first place, um, Versus well, I the, think, the current arm, armchair politicking. I mean, I think that that initially, look, what our, our reason was there was for was nine eleven, right? So, um, I, I there's some now famous YouTube videos of of American troops showing Afghans the nine eleven attacks, and they're going, and some of the guys going, yeah, this must, this can't be New York, this must be Kabul, and and because uh, they'd never been to Kabul, and they said, well, what do you mean that, that we have made an that an attack came from here to to New York? You know, they said, we don't have that capability. You know, there was, so there's some interesting, I think it, it was some interesting takes that are, like I said, very famous now. I would say that it was a response to 9-11. And we knew where command and control was for Al-Qaeda. And right. we then want, and the Taliban was harboring Al-Qaeda. Um, I think we went about it all wrong. I think we, uh, I think we should have engaged the Taliban uh, first be, and and tried to uh, um, negotiate with them a on a diplomatic mission and a national and from a national security perspective and and said this is what needs to happen um, and I don't know we don't know what their te the temperament would have been of the Taliban back then but although it would have given them a chance I always believe in putting your hand out first right and in that case we had the time we had we had time to do that. Instead, what we did was we we did we we put boots on the ground, which is fine. And and uh, but now it it look it may, it's kind of silly uh, to think that we spent twenty years um, holding back the Afghan uh, the Taliban. We did beat Al Qaeda. I should say we beat we did beat Al Qaeda, and now we have a worse entity, right? Al Qaeda is really a criminal enterprise now. It's not really a terrorist group. Um, the 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 most of Al Qaeda is the old Al Qaeda is gone. And uh, there's a few senior management management managers there, but most of them have have decided that there's more money to be made making in in mobilizing these networks to be a criminal enterprise. Um, and ISIS is now the bad boy, right? And uh, and so the problem is is that it, if we, I think we went. Right, so to answer your question, I'm explaining rather than answering. One That's is fine. we went to go go after Al Qaeda, and yeah. we did it. Okay, yeah. mission accomplished. We eventually got uh, we we eventually got Bin Laden. Mission accomplished. We've implemented twenty years of development work. Uh, aside from the war profiteering uh, that's happened from uh, where there's been a lot of 
offshoring of funds for in, that's the intended use for Afghans, um, which I fought heavily against um, the war profiteering. Um, I feel that uh, there were some amazing strides made. Did was the intent to implement a federal system in the style of the United States? Uh, I think that there are quite a few people that feel that they can play with state building and um, and and have done so in Afghanistan. So if you were going to ask me what type of federal system would work, it wouldn't be the system that they they implemented when I was there in 20. What's that? Sure. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah so when I was there in 2012, I would say I was in I remember being in Herat and, and sitting with the Ulama council there, the this, this council of religious guys. And uh, and I said, you know, no two democracy are the same much like no two Muslims are the same. And uh, we don't know what an Afghan democracy would look like, but the Afghans have been practicing at the Shura and Jirga level, right? The, the, the town and village level democracy for a lot longer than anybody else has for thousands of years. So it's up to the Afghans to try to advocate within their contextual understanding of democracy, what kind of democracy they would like to have. Um, yeah. And I always give the example of how British democracy is different than our democracy, right? They have a House of Lords, and uh, which is appalling to us. <laughs> it's ridiculous. I had a hereditary body of, 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 of divine right rulers. You know. But um, the, so, the holdover from divine right monarchy and, right. and that whole system, which we devoted an well, episode to a while back. <laughs> yeah, we did. We did. You know, so, and, and, and so as the highest evolution of Brit, because I'm a New Yorker, um, we've cast out all that. And, uh, and so we believe in a different type of democracy. Um, that never happened though in Afghanistan, um, a highly a centralized federalist system. It what could have worked is, as far as this is my assertion and maybe sure. somebody, one of our, one of our friends, one of the, some of the nerds out there can do it. I write a paper on this is a loose Confederate, a federal system like America before the civil war. Um, the challenge is that, if you do something like that, where the, 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 the federal government in Afghanistan provides services, national security and, uh, and, and defense, then you leave the rest to the, to the regions, right? And you know, the North, the Northwest is, you know, Uzbek, the North East is Tajik, the Pashtuns in the South. And, and if you, if you, and let things happen at the regional level, then maybe that would have worked, but a highly centralized government in Kabul Nez never worked in Afghanistan. So um, was it mission accomplished? Was that the intent? Look, we're unlike most countries. Like when you talk about the Chinese, the Chinese go in, they mine and they take whatever, and then they go. We uh, go in and we have a lot of, uh, provide a lot of social works. We build schools, we build, you know, all kinds of programming, uh, economic development program and so forth. And, I think that we were flawed in the past because we were focusing not on the key elements of state building, which is security, economic yeah. development, um, uh, economic development, education, and, and governance. We were focusing on you know, security, women's empowerment, and transition. So you can't have women's empowerment unless you have education, and economic development. Okay, yeah. that's, that's because you need to have money. People need to have money in their pockets, and they need to you know have their livelihoods. But also, they need to educate. They have the tools to understand how what, what women's empowerment is, right? Um, so, and so women's empowerment comes a little bit afterwards. Um, transition was was one of the stools uh, during uh, 
in the in the past and and in, in our development initiatives. And that means turning billions of dollars of programming over to foreign nationals. I, I don't agree with that, yeah. uh, especially if they don't know how to receive the funds and and disperse the funds. And so and then the glue. Right. So as governance, right, it's supposed to be governance. So it's security, economic development, education and the glue is governance. And so we 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 went about it in a, in a very haphazard way, um, although all the billions of dollars we spent. There was a lot of benefit that went to the Afghan people. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of benefit that went to the region. And it's just just deflating. Yeah. <laughs> to see what's happening right now. So, you know, and, and on top of that, you can't even. You can't even process it. Like we've been trying to get as many people as possible. So my colleague who's in the airline business, we coordinate with state about building the air bridge and then consulting with them and trying to get as many people out. And instead of building our own you know, a sort of you know, private charter, we've decided to focus uh, on on working with state and, and, and the, the, the U.S. military on, on, on these operations to get people out. And thousands of people have been evacuated. So that's great. Um, but there's another side to it too. There's a brain drain now in Afghanistan. Yeah, that's true. Um, so, and that's that's a problem. Um, when you, when what you say, effective? Wait, yeah, when you say brain drain, I tell me if my translation, my interpretation of that is, is accurate or not. Um, the brain, <clears throat> brain drain meaning uh, maybe the people who have most bought into and have advanced, say, the educational and civil society opportunities those are the, probably the people who are leaving, right? And so well, there are going to be less well, of those people behind to carry that kind of flag. Well, let's 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 look at something. Let's 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 take it step back a little bit. Okay. You know, I always deal in three. So let's look at this. The act, you'd make the, a great the, the, the Baptist preacher. What I mean, so, you said you deal in threes. I said you'd make a big, great Baptist preacher. Three sermon points. That's all there is. Every really? Week. Okay. All right. You know, so, so here's the thing. Here we go. So I would love to be, I'd love to go. I'd love to preach. I think I'd really enjoy it. Um, I, I, like I said, I saw, I saw it with uh, Pastor Paula and I loved it. I loved all that. I, I don't know what was going on, but I was like, this is, but here's the thing. So let's just say this. The Afghan, the Taliban right now doesn't have anybody to run the airport. They don't have anybody to run the, the telecommunications. So there's a mechan- the, just the mechanics of running a government. All right. So ministries and then the mechanics of running the, the infrastructure just are, they've all left or a lot or a good portion of them are left. Significant those portion. people, those people were, you know, either explicitly or implicitly on board with what's happened over the last 20 years. And yeah. so by running those those elements in country, those people would have an effect on the Taliban and their rule because they've been providing a valuable service while also being able to adversely condition, you know, those around them to show that that uh, people that work with coalition forces and interact are not uh, agents of uh, although this might sound contradictory, it might be talking about both both sides of my mouth. But um, I would think that that they would have an effect, a positive effect on the Taliban and how they interact with the citizenry that has been um, uh, uh, interacting with coalition force for the last 20 years. So there's that, that population, right? So yeah. the population infrastructure and the, the, the administration of elements that are needed. And that's gone. Uh, that's what I mean. That's the first part of brain drain. So the second part of brain drain are, I think, 
you have a all these civil society civil society mechanisms that were run by individuals uh, that may have been uh, radical. You know, we talk about to the Taliban, women's empowerment's radical, right? Or something as very as simple as uh, I'm going to advocate for. Uh, the establishment of electricity in areas that don't have it, right? Those civil yeah. society groups are defunct now. And without civil society, you, you just, in civil society leadership, uh, you, 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 you're just missing a core element in, in, a, in a liberal society. Yeah. Um, and then, then you have the third, you have the, the, the advocates for the issues that the Taliban finds appalling. Right. And all those advocates, a lot of those advocates are are are, are gone. Um, there was this article about three ladies. We can put it in the post that uh, are, are um, leaders in government and they decided to stay. Uh, that's that's amazing. Um, and uh, I, I think supporting those mechanisms in country uh, are really and the individuals that have stayed is is just as important as evacuating people um, yeah. and figuring out how to do so. I, I I would always say when I was so when I was in, in 2012 when I was in Afghanistan I I had a circuit I would go to um, I would go all over the country so you know Parwan and Kunduz and Mazar and Harat and and uh, Kandahar and Jabat I go all over and when the PRTs the provincial reconstruction teams. USAID and the provincial councils were at a stalemate. They would, they would, I would come in and I'd sort of mitigate and, and moderate between everybody and try to come up with a path forward. One of my, one of the, the, the elements that I always have is that we needed the, 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 in Jalalabad, they needed a bridge. And the governor that was appointed at that time was uh, not going to give them the bridge. And there, the, the provincial council was, was steadfast. We need the bridge. We need the bridge. We need the bridge. And there was a lot of personalities, a lot of nuances. There's all kinds of layers to Afghan culture. The problem was, is that I said, well, why don't we ask them for something simple? Why don't we start off with an agenda? What's something that you want that is an easy thing? Yeah. Uh, something that they, if they, if they don't grant it to you, it'll be ridiculous. And I think we need to come up with a list of those things. Because let's ask them and let's let's have them grant that to you so they can feel that they're giving you something. You are getting something and you're building a relationship and a way to negotiate yeah. with these uh, parties that were appointed in that case, I think, at that, in, you know, at that time by the then president. Right. So yeah. it was Karzak. And we started along that process. And I said, it might take a year, it might take two years, but eventually you get your bridge. And that's what happened. Um. And so, you know, these, I, I, why am I telling that story? I tell that story because I think that there's been systems and mechanisms in place. There's been learned um, ways of engagement within the construct of a liberal democratic society and governmental processes that has maturized over these last 20 years. And a lot of those people just aren't there. Yeah. Uh, and so that was, I don't know if the same provincial governors that are in our provincial council members are in JBAT are still there, but I would, I would anticipate that a lot of them are gone. And, and so there's, it's the same mechanisms with the Taliban, right? You may not turn around and say, listen, we want to make sure right now that, uh, that, that you are going to have a liberal society and a, a democratic constitution and implement, you know, but 
you know, there's there, there's there's simple requests that could be made to see and and to and, and engage the temperature of the Taliban, and then there, and civil society needs to be in place, and those individuals in government need to be in place that understand these mechanisms that can softball some of the stuff to get feelers and start building those relationships between liberal Afghans, right, and uh, and and the Taliban, and that would allow for this bridging of this gap and allow for. Uh, a more open society from the from the get go, and I don't think yeah. I don't know if that's happening right now. And with the brain drain, uh, and and I I don't want that to sound like anybody was left behind. Has is it? There's an intelligence deficit. What I mean by no, brain no, drain no, no. is that yeah, people it's a... that have process, you know, within the development and development initiatives and understand the donor community and how it works is is really is really important aspect. You know? Yeah, yeah, it's kind of a, it's like a civic capital, right? Or a uh, yeah, what, what do we yeah. call it? Stateside? There's something capital. I'm, I'm blanking on the word for it. Maybe, it's maybe my holdover from surgery and, uh, and, and brain fog. But uh, I know what you're talking about. It's yeah, it's not an intelligence uh, drain. It's a, an, it's an experience and kind of a human capital. Um, yeah, and you have these people drain, that are right? yeah, you have these people that have been you know the Taliban is you know they they're they're. I, I made a, a post about how the takeover of, of Afghanistan by the Taliban is very similar to me in my head of the takeover of Egypt uh, by by the Muslim Brotherhood. Uh, Muslim Brotherhood had dealt in theoretical things. They were all coming out of prisons and everything else. They dealt with all yeah. this theoretical government. But then when they took the seat of government, they were responsible for getting people jobs and running electricity yeah. and doing all stuff. And, and what happened over a course of a series of years, their credibility started to drop. And then they were because they didn't deliver on their promises, uh, you know, everything went went south for them. It's important to think about that with the Taliban. The Taliban are now on the hook and it's not the same environment it was in the 90s where there's a tremendous um, uh, amount outpouring of concern towards Afghanistan. There's a huge community of diaspora huge community of diaspora and that huge community of diaspora is very very strong powerful and there's a, the, the connectivity that exists now as opposed to the 90s is vast and so the taliban is going to have to uh, figure out uh where how, you know what stance they're going to take and according to you know their uh spokespeople they are are addressing this from a liberal perspective um we don't know if they'll deliver on those, on those slogans right. that they're saying and those speeches and that, that rhetoric. But the fact is, is that we can hold them accountable, much like we were talking about the conversations that I had, I had with the provincial council in, 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 in Jabat, in Jalalabad back in the day. Let's, let's hold them. Let's say, okay, you, you, you say we, you're, you're going to keep the air bridge open. Let's keep the air bridge open. We have lists of people. We want to get them out. Let's get them out. Um, you say that your your outlook on women is different. Okay, how is it different? We have a mayor that's that's a female mayor in this province right now. Are you going to allow her to continue to govern? Hmm. You know, they, if these are very simple questions that allow us to gauge what's going on, but it also gives them the opportunity to deliver on their rhetoric and their and their their slogans that they've been saying. Yeah, so I I don't doubt. I don't doubt that that's that's the a, a way to proceed and and a way to the to call them into question. As far as the U.S. doing doing it, I think we we got to use a different word than accountability because now we have no leverage. 
Um, I well, think we do have leverage. I think people. I think people who like you have connections to civil society and and relationships in country, um, and uh, I think civil society groups might, um, and and maybe other, you know, non-U.S. state actors. But I, with this with withdraw, we've given up the goods, man. I don't. I don't. I don't see any kind of form of accountability uh, coming from well, the U.S. now. This is what the U.S. The U.S. We control the air, so. We we could we could provide we could we could, we have we have a it's a sovereignty issue right so we could we could barter with sovereignty issue particularly with the air air there's no doubt about that too is that the Taliban is looking for recognition globally so when they're looking for recognition globally there's recognition with China there's recognition with Russia sure all these sure. things but recognition with America and and advocating at the UN level and 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 with the IMF and all these other organizations is going to matter from the US. So those are, that's the second element that we have to leverage. Um, I think the third, the third element to the leverage is money. So the, the, the Taliban can see how a, a state that we, that is an enemy, an enemy state functions. They just got to look to Iran, right? So just look right next door. The sanctions, you're dealing with illegal activity. They're dealing with all kinds of stuff within the, the Iranian government. There's an opportunity right now to establish, I would say, a relationship of nego- negotiation, not establish a diplomatic relationship from a perspective of country to country. But sure. I would advoc- I would advocate that, that, that Trump and the Trump administration already gave legitimacy to the Taliban. The Taliban oh, no are question. there, regardless yeah, no of whether or not you agree with it. Yeah. Um, and these are three leverage points that are going to, that are going to speak to the Taliban right now. Um, they can talk, like I said, talk with China and Russia all they want. These three elements, uh, sovereignty, uh, um, uh, money, and, and legitimacy, um, America can, can provide that. Um, how we work with those points, and I would negotiate those points, I would, first, with, with our coalition uh, partners, with our allies, to do so. But the path to do that is it has to be established and the three action points that i've vocalized on are one is is that there there needs to be a whole new team of people interacting with the taliban um ambassador halazad has been uh had a stranglehold on on um and on the policies and and how we deal with Af- Afghanistan right uh, from for 40 years he was an advisor to an interpreter and then advisor to to Ronald Reagan the formation of the Taliban is his fingerprints are all over it um, he was the ambassador to uh, to Afghanistan in the beginning uh, and many if you talk to many people he was actually helping if not uh, running good portions of the government as the ambassador for Karzai um, he ceased to be the ambassador and went over to Iraq. And you, when you look at what's happened in, Af- in Afghanistan right now, the same thing happened in Iraq. The Iraqi forces gave up their arms, put up, didn't put up a resistance, and ISIS took over. Um, and now there's a pattern. Same thing right. happened here. He was yeah. in charge for the last three years of, of the U.S. Afghan peace talks. Uh, during, and he was appointed by Trump. He still holds his job. All right. So Blinken kept him. Um, I can't think of a more uh, explicit example of someone failing at their job than, uh, and their and their mission than what's happened in Afghanistan right now. And this guy's still got his job. 
He's yes. kept out the brain trust of Afghan Americans. You know, and I and I and here's the thing: I'm not advocating for myself. I want to know business in it. Um, I'm. I think that there's a tremendous amount of Afghan Americans that um, have the ability to engage and and know how to approach what's going on in Afghanistan right now. And Ambassador Halazad needs to be removed immediately. That's yeah. step one. Step two would be to put feelers out about having a consulate in Kabul. Instead of moving out lock, stock, and barrel, having some presence there is mo- the most important thing. Uh, the third element is, you know, you continue your airlift. You continue to support those civil society and country and the individuals, the leadership and country. And, and then on top of that, make sure that the money that's being flown around, flo- that floated around to different entities are going to, for the money is going to the intended purpose. There's been a lot of people raising funds, and I'm not sure that those funds are going for the intended purpose. Uh, there needs to be a, the, 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 hum, the, the massive humanitarian effort needs to be effective and it needs to be credible. And and continue. So I think those are the three starting points, right? And then from there we can go forward. But as long as Ambassador Halazad is there, nothing will happen, and uh, he'll block the brain trust that's here in America from actually being effective in forging a new path. Um, um, and I've worked with the guy. He was the board member at the uh, American University of Afghanistan. He was uh, the guy that, uh, and I've worked with him back and forth at Department of State when I've dealt with some initiatives. And uh, and he just doesn't he doesn't belong there anymore. Um, And, and, you know, but he's still there. He's still involved in the peace process. I I remain very skeptical about a lot of this, Um, you know, as even with the best interest and uh, talent that the U.S. has to offer, I think with our withdrawal of military uh, support and force there, I don't you know, I don't know why Taliban just doesn't uh, make make particularly on your cash your your funding uh point i don't know why they don't just make bedfellows with china and russia who won't expect a lick of them on human rights um and education uh and or far we're going to be far friendlier and and far hands off with less strings um that, that you're right care about. You're, you're it's a fair assessment you know what I mean? It's a fair assessment. I, I, I mean, I, I hope, I hope, I hope we play ball like you suggest, and I, and I hope it's successful. I'm just highly, highly skeptical that that's going to yeah. pan out. And it's, it's, I want to, I want to pick up. I want to emphasize one thing you said a little bit earlier that uh, uh, the Trump administration had a pl- role to play in this. So as much as um, my Republican friends want to, um, you know, throw down and and scorch Biden uh, for all this. Um, we we don't know whether you know logistically and the execution would have been any different under Trump administration. Maybe it would have been, um, but the wheels on this transition were moving well before Biden was in was in office. Um, well, and was, the same guy, was, the same guy who negotiated right, this, exactly executed. Yeah, the, the personnel the, the, the personnel guy. didn't really change. It's not like uh, it's it not like Biden guy. came into office in January and then six months later this we have this catastrophe. This stuff, um, particularly the, the legitimization of the Taliban, we know was was going on with the Trump administration in private negotiations and even secret negotiations as early as 2018. Um, so I, I you know. I, we we can critique the the Biden administration on on the particulars of the execution, I think, but well, 
and, yeah. and, and I mean, speed. I, I think I, I think I think Americans are caught off with the speed of this. But my yeah. my point, politically speaking, I said you know in in spite of the the, the bloodshed and the chaos, um, and you know clearly the execution could have gone a lot differently uh, as we ourselves Monday morning quarterback a little bit. Uh, this is pulling out of Afghanistan. I think is is it's the center of the Venn diagram between um, some of you know Trump voters and Biden voters, both Trump yeah. voters, um, the nat- kind of nationalist trending folks, you know, it, you know the people who who critique quote interventionalism, um, they've been wanting to get out of Afghanistan for a long time, and the political left of the country who are kind of are who are generally averse to military action and force um, have wanted to be out, and I think that's that's an alignment uh, that that is a common a common sentiment between uh two administ- voters of two administrations now people are going to you know yeah. you know people are going to not like that and 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 hit me <laughs> for that um and i'm not saying that americans wanted to see this kind of chaos and and this kind of bloodshed that we've seen over the last couple of weeks um but americans i think did in fact want to get out um yeah they, i mean it's they funny didn't nece- they didn't necessarily want to achieve um a particular uh, a, a particular threshold or a goal because no political party, Republicans or Democrats um, over the last decade have really sold a meaningful plan. Right. Um, yeah. And so, Lord, those- Lord Stewart, you know, he, he, he the, the, the MP is uh, the famous British politician. Uh, and, and, and he, he, he actually nailed it. He said, uh, look, 2,500 troops in Afghanistan. Uh, it's been 18 months since there's been a death. Um, it's really a, a really low calorie <laughs> sort of right? yeah. force maintenance, you know, considering that we have all these troops in, 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 uh, in Korea and we, we're not, you know, the logic is let's not, oh, you want to know what, uh, let's pull the troops out there from there and just see how, see what happens. I mean, no, we keep the troops in Korea. We keep the troops in, 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 in Germany. Uh, so the, right. the Marshall plan is still in place. So 2,500 troops, no casualties. Just to be able to maintain the government uh, and and the twenty years of of, of social uh, and and worth and security worth, I always sit and say, people would ask me two months ago, why are we in Afghanistan? Should we stay there? And I go, it touches all our enemies, it touches China, yeah. It touches yeah. it touches it touches Iran. It's it's in proximity to Russia. It, it, the, the the amount of of just from an intelligence intelligence perspective, it's it's worth its weight in gold for twenty five hundred troops. Yeah, um, yeah, but. I've, I think you're right. I think if if, if we're talking, there's a lot. Uh, there's a strong case to be made, and my my friend Paul D. Miller uh, has made a lot of this case as a strategic outpost uh, for that. We you know it's we continue to refer to it as a war. Um, that was probably not. It's probably not the most accurate descriptor for the past what. Certainly, I would say at least five years. years at you least know, five, five years, years yeah. since the retaking of Kunduz. And this is the funny part, right? So I know yeah. we got to go, but. When Kunduz was taken about five or five, some odd years ago, I can't remember exactly when Kunduz was taken by the Taliban, the ANA, the Afghan National Army, retook Kunduz on their own without coalition forces. Nobody was on their own. Yeah. So what's the difference? What's happened now? The America's pulled out. And so everybody says, well, they lost their, their will to fight. The Afghans are fighters. So they didn't lose their will to fight. I'll maybe well end with this point. There's a store. I have a, I have a firsthand account not going to mention any names in charge of security forces in Kabul in charge of five low level commander in charge yeah. of 5,000 dudes. 
So a division's like 3,000, right? So just, a, just you know, almost two divisions of, of, of troops had orders to stand down with Taliban's in the outskirts. Had orders to stand down. So goes to confirm orders, and guess what? The entire chain of command is gone. We're not talking about, so he's like, he's like the captain level, right? So, yeah. you know, so I don't know, you know, the chain of command, you know, there's four types of generals, right? There's one star, two star, three star, right? And then you go to, you go to your, you get, you drop down to your colonels and then your majors and then your captains and then your lieutenants. He's like lieutenant captain level. And there's nobody in the chain of command above him. Goes to the presidential palace and guess what? The president's gone. So there's no one to get orders from. And he's in charge of uh, almost two divisions of troops, armed, ready to rock, U.S. trained. Goes to Karzai's house. Goes to Karzai's house. And Karzai is, con- is considering going to the Iranian embassy for a refuge. And he says to himself, well, if they take the Iranian embassy, I'm just going to die there. I might as well die in my house. Now, imagine that. Have, imagine if you had to say that to yourself, Right. I give Karzai and Abdullah Abdullah a lot of a lot of credit for staying in country. So this guy, this low level guy, is saying, I got all these guys, what do you want me to do? And he says, You have a choice. You can either make a stand or you can let the fight another day. So Karzai makes the now famous video with his daughter. And and they steward him to Karzai, because all his security forces are gone. Karzai to Abdullah's house. And they disband. And this guy's in hiding. But imagine if from we're talking about the major level. So major, all all your colonels, lieutenant majors, colonel, all the way up and all the four star generals just disappear. And then all of the people that are in the government, in the ministries are gone with whatever cash they could carry, whatever it is. And they're gone. And one of my founding, my founding fathers, right? I'm a Hamiltonian Federalist. I've got my my George Washington, right? Those those are my two founding fathers. But I have my third is my founding mother, right? And it's it's Dolly Madison. The British troops are coming in and they're a block away. And what is she doing? She's breaking uh, frames and she's taking the heirlooms of our country and putting them in the carriages as the British in the War of 1812 are coming. Ghani leaves and he leaves the Bactrian gold. Their heritage mm. right right there in the wall. And it doesn't even think of, key, of bringing the heirlooms of his country. And he, they were, there was no, but no command and control. So when it comes to people saying, how come the Afghans didn't fight? Not only did they have orders to stand down, they also had the, all, the entire senior, their entire, their, their entire governmental structure, including the military, which in our country, right, there's two separate entities, right? The military yeah. does, has a structure, and it's not complete, like an integrated... So we're completely uh, gone. Yeah. All of, all of this was not, these were not military failures either on the part of the U S or even the Afghans. This was a political failure. These were political choices. Well, give up, Um, when you gave up Bagram, that was a big thing. Right. Goodness gracious. I I knew it was over when, when, when there was, I was like, we're transferring over Bagram. You never give up an air base. You right? never give up a fortified position. An like, air we, base we, for we crying out loud. At least keep the, keep an air base for crying out loud. We always do that. We've never we never give up real estate like that. So when I said that, I go, who negotiated that? And so, you know, if there's this if there it's not even a scapegoat, I know who negotiated it. It was Ambassador Halazad. 
he is responsible for for all of the engagement back and forth between our yeah. government and, and Afghanistan. And but that doesn't been- that doesn't yeah, but it still doesn't it doesn't really answer for Biden's um, sticking with it, right? Even even as no, that, that's not Biden. Right? That's on Biden. But if you have, it's a very cham- Chamberlain sort of thing, right? You have yeah. Chamberlain went into Poland, negotiated with the Nazis without the Poles there, and then Poland was taken over. Ambassador Hamzad negotiated with the Taliban without the government there, and now Afghanistan is gone. It's a Chamberlainian yeah. element. I have no idea what's going on with Biden. Why would he stick to a timeline, rigid timeline, when when the Taliban's not focused on on, on delivering on any of the sticking points? That's one. Two is they believed that there that there there is the they believe they were going to talk in, about a coalition government and the government ceased to exist. Yeah. And then the third thing is, if you're you know, just what, what difference does it make? We need 60 days. This is what we need. Can you give us 60 days? It's an easy request. Yeah. And in return, you want to know what we're going to do? We're going to make sure that, uh, you know, we as we help you with, you know, maintaining the telecommunication system or whatever, whatever you want to set trade. But, yeah. you know, we're not going to bomb strategic targets or ISIS is your enemy. We're going to, you know, whatever you want to yeah. do. I don't care. But that those talks aren't even going on. And you never tell people your plan. Yeah. You never tell people your plan. Yeah. I think I think that's that's going to be my soapbox for for another episode probably. Um and maybe a, maybe an essay I've been thinking through. I think um I think both Republicans and Democrats, I think in a, in a matter of self-governance, we've got to start learning that we can't we can't succeed politically on declaring a date a, a, a date-based deadline. Uh, for these kind of complex things. So Democrats, uh, I think Obama and Biden trying to uh, do military withdrawals by announcing a, a self-imposed date, I think is is uh, utterly has been shown to be a failure multiple times, especially when you broadcast it. And then, uh, you know, domestically, I'm sorry, you know, Republicans, President Trump, you cannot declare when a virus is going to go away. Uh, like he did for Easter 2020, right? How how absurd is that now? Um, as we enter the fall of 2021 and are still uh, experiencing spikes of Delta uh, going around, uh, even six months or more after vaccine has been available. So uh, I think there's something to mine there for for future. But I think in the context, if we as people who are supposed to be part of self government, uh, both in foreign policy and domestic, you know, big you know, big kind of social, you know, shifting, uh, nation shifting, democracy shaping, human rights accomplishments um, are going to continually be be thwarted um, when we try to arbitrarily get something done by a date on the calendar. Um, I I think we got to we got to start learning from that. But that's that's a that's a soapbox for another time. I'll I'll work on developing. Well, yeah, we'll have to talk about it. We will, we'll, 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 we'll have to, we can do a, an but article like, for public consumption. Let the record show I survived an episode of Crossing Phase with John Pinna post heart surgery. Post heart surgery, yeah. I, we, 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 the next subject religious freedom in Afghanistan. Yeah. Is, yeah, it, a, need... is it a Christian issue? <laughs> I have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> but anyway, you, he, John has his own soapbox that, that I'm going to have to I'm going to have to sustain have to at, at a future. Ep- I'm going to have to weather after, uh, on a future episode. But uh, it's but been fun, it's okay. been great to join you. Say what? 
the stitching's okay. It's lasted. Stitch, it's all right. The stitching's good. Uh, I've got uh, weight restrictions for the next several months. I get to add a pound a day or not a pound a day, a pound per month, uh, to my weight restrictions. And I can, okay. I can do any, I can do lifting with my elbows at my side, but I can't do any like fly or, uh, press related activities because of this tissue's got to heal, uh, okay. uh, on my chest muscle. So I still got to be careful about that. So it doesn't disrupt the incision, but it's healing. Well, um, it's, uh, all the, all the, uh, adhesive from the tape has gone off and, uh, I've got uh, another rehab appointment this afternoon. So, um, and they've got in my first rehab appointment, they got me up to uh, one, one thirty eight beats per minute. So that was nice. pretty encouraging. Well, so I think, I, think I appreciate it's a, you. It's a clinic. I think i time and I'm glad you're healthy. And, uh, and like I said, I hope I was coherent. I'm on two weeks of almost a very little sleep. And I'm just, like I said, just getting, literally getting home today and trying to come up with some content. And I was like, hope I can dash and bob and weave. But no, I think your content was good, man. I appreciate you relaying, uh, some on the ground, uh, info, uh, from Afghanistan. I appreciate it. And, uh, prayers for all the people, uh, in particular that you've known and come in contact with and, and need to be safe. Yeah, and we're still advocating. What we'll do is we'll in the in the in the in the show notes we'll put uh, a credible a credible NGO to donate to. Um, yeah. We'll also put some links to like the Rory Stewart uh, conversation and some of the other things that we have um, that will give us uh, give you some context of what's going on. But in any event, thanks so much. Great, thanks, John. This has been Crossing Phase. All of this information and more and past episodes from seasons past uh, available at crossingfaiths.com.